This week on the Vergecast, Heim Gartenberg joins us to talk about Apple's big event, including M1 iMacs and an M1 iPad Pro. Kelly McKenna joins us to talk about Apple's hearing in Congress about App Store issues. And, of course, we talk about USB-C. Coming up on the Vergecast now. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the M1 processor, mm. which is actually a system on a chip. Please don't tweet at me. I'm Neil. I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I have no jokes because I'm just thinking about the fact that the M1 processor can just go in anything now. It's literally anything. Including this Vergecast. It's in my uh, my little Zoom Handy recorder. It's a very powerful yeah. uh, recorder. We have a packed show. There was an Apple event this week. Heim Gartenberg is going to join us and go through all of the things Apple announced Apple was in front of Congress this week talking about the App Store. McKenna Kelly is going to join us, talk about what happened at the hearing, what we learned, what happens next. Just a lot going on, a lot of it focused on Apple. But I want to start where we always start, which is COVID, still the biggest story in the world. I looked it up this week. Hmm. It's been six weeks since President Joe Biden promised a website where people could find a vaccine. And when's the deadline? The deadline is May 1. Also, the website is already up. It's just vaccinefinder.org. You can just like go to it today. So it's yeah. technically here, but it's supposed to launch in some spectacular fashion on May 1, which is okay. the deadline we're still holding them to. That said, every adult in America is now eligible for the vaccine. That was a big goal of the administration. That is true. If you haven't scheduled up your shots and you're eligible, go do it. There's just not, there shouldn't be a question here. Just go do it. Get it done. I'm tired of this. Other vaccine news from our science test, which has been doing a great job of covering this. There are some now rare cases of people with who have gotten the shots getting COVID-19. Those are called breakthrough infections. We are learning a lot about vaccine efficacy and COVID from those. That's a great story. People who have COVID, have they feel foggy. As I've heard this from people who've had it. There's now a prescription video game in testing to work on that issue, which I think is prescription video games are one of those things that we've covered for a long time. Uh, and like many things with COVID, they're it's this thing that's been simmering on the back burner that is like finding a use in the pandemic, which is interesting. And Alexa can now tell you where to find a vaccine, which is, of course, I mean, of course. Yeah. You know, what we haven't heard about in a long time is uh, iOS and Android exposure tracking. Yeah, that's that's just kind of went nowhere, didn't it? It just kind of went nowhere. But if you can get a shot, please go get one on May 1. I'm sure I'm sure there'll be some spectacular. The entire web will explode in the celebration of a new website. Remember when that used to happen? Uh, we'll see. But if you can get a shot, please go get one. I want to call it one thing before we dive into Apple. This is personally important to me. 
Oh, I know what you're going to do. Wisconsin officially amended Foxconn's contract because Foxconn officially admitted that it's not building an LCD factory. It's not doing anything. <laughs> it, it went from it went from like two billion to like eighty five million, right? Yeah. So the no, the total in, in, it it depends on how you count. So okay. It, so the four billion was like the state incentives and the the like the village of Mount Pleasant incentives, right? Where the factory is. So the state yeah. incentives went from two point eight five billion to eighty million. The number right. of employees went from fourteen thousand or thirteen thousand to fourteen hundred, uh, and they still haven't announced what they're going to build. I will say there's a new piece of uh, of Foxconn jargon for us to know. Okay, so if you remember, it went from AI eight K plus five G. Yes, which we still don't know what that that is. But now it's a three plus three corporate matrix strategy that will allow no. them to. Yep. When Josh was writing the story, he was like, they just threw this out there. Like, we still don't know. It's just like another, the three plus three corporate corporate vision. Apple only needed four quadrants for its product strategy. Why does Foxconn need nine? <laughs> or is it six? Is it three plus three or three times three? It's three plus three. Okay. Got it. Which, by the way, most people would write six. I don't know, man. I think we might be done with it. Like, it has come to its logical conclusion, which is everyone yeah. admitted they're not building an LCD factory. I'm going home next week. I'm going Ooh. to visit my parents, which is like in striking distance of this dome. I am so please, excited to go take a picture. Of this please dome. go to the dome. I can't wait. Honestly, my parents are great, but the dome is like really why I'm flying back to Wisconsin. <laughs> all right, let's take a quick break. And then we're going to talk about all things Apple. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. We're back. Heim Gartenberg is here. Hey, Heim. Hello. So, big Apple event. Heim, you made your debut on a, a Verge Apple Live blog. How was it for you? Very fun. Definitely, definitely the best way to to watch an Apple event is by... Did you remember anything about the event after you were done live vlogging? It was mostly just like a blackout experience, yep. just like <laughs> yep. words, words, and then... Oh, there were there were things. I was told that I mentioned the bit about uh, Apple finally talking about how much RAM is in the iPad like two or three times because I was just so <laughs> flabbergasted. I just kept putting in the live block. A shocked fugue state. <laughs> it has 16 gigabytes of RAM. Yeah. If you're listening and you haven't heard of Sideways before, if you very few people will ever have the experience of live blogging Apple event. If you do it, you realize when you're done, even though you have transcribed and reacted to virtually <laughs> the entire event, at the end of it, you have no idea what happened. And you have to yep. go back and watch again, which is uh, time. It's good. It's good to see that Dieter and I aren't just getting older. <laughs> uh, anyway, lots, lots of stuff at this event. Surprises. 
they did a lot more than we anticipated. Did you, you want to want to walk us through some of the some of the stuff? So it kicked off with stuff that I think only one of one of these three things had uh, leaked. So one surprise was uh, Tim Cook said that for the Apple Card, they're going to do a thing where partners that are on the card will get equal you know, benefits to their credit rating, which is different from the way the rest of the credit card industry does it. And it's different from the way that the Apple card originally did it. And Apple kind of got like in trouble with that. And there's also some family stuff with the Apple card. There's like a better family option for it if you want to give cards to your teenagers. So we didn't see that coming. And then it was a new version of Apple podcasts with in-app podcast subscriptions, which I think we want to talk about quite a bit. But just to get it out of the way before we do that, they also announced a purple iPhone. Uh, you can get the iPhone 12 or the iPhone 12 mini in purple. It's purple. Yeah. I don't know what else to tell you. They announced a lot of things in like seven minutes. Yeah. That was all, that's all like just Tim Cook walking around Apple Park through like the, the beautiful gardens that they've got there. Just like in his, I think it was black. Maybe it was a very dark blue t-shirt. Not, <laughs> yeah. not a, you know, un, untucked button down, very casual, showing his guns. Yeah. So, yeah. They just like, yeah, here's some stuff. And we're like, what? What? Here's a new iPhone, just like yeah. casually. Yeah, it was okay, the fastest next. iPhone announcement in the history of iPhones. It was like 45 seconds, and there was a new <laughs> iPhone, <laughs> new color. But yeah, Dieter, you have it. It appears to be beautiful. It is. It is beautiful. Yep, it's a very nice purple. Like it really is. The Apple Card thing is interesting because you know the there was a lot of controversy around uh, credit ratings and married people. Mm-hmm. David Hanmeier Hansen like kicked off an entire wave of controversy. Uh, because I believe his wife couldn't get a card and they're like married. And so Apple made it seem like this was their idea, but like very clearly they like rolled into this controversy from the, from the yeah. initial launch of the card. I mean, this was always inevitable as soon as Apple started running a credit card company. Like <laughs> what did they expect? I mean, it's just so funny. Apple makes a credit card with Goldman Sachs. And it's just, when I think about improving my credit rating, I, I think of Apple. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Purple iPhones and my credit rating. One thing yeah. that is unclear and we are investigating is uh, Apple doesn't actually publish your credit rating. Credit agencies do. Right. So the credit agencies have to be part of this scheme. And as far as I can tell, they have so far said nothing. So we are not a financial services website yet. We, we It's like I'm actually working on a deal with Goldman Sachs right now. Look, Apple got into credit cards. Now we have to. That's just Ver, how it Verge works. card is coming. Um, it's going to be very heavy uh, because that is what people want. Anyway, that's a credit card thing. But I, I'll just say there's, there's a little bit of a question mark on the back end of the credit card thing. Yeah. The podcast thing is a big, big deal. Ashley Carmen wrote a great piece about that today with a lot of quotes from podcast industry executives podcasters who have paid podcasts already. Yeah. This is one later on in the show, we're going to talk to McKenna about the hearing around the app store and fees. Uh, you know, Spotify was part of the hearing. This is one where the problem is so evident on its face with paid podcasts, right? So you, they redesigned the podcast app. And now indeed, if you are a podcaster, you want people to pay you for your podcast. You can just yeah. sign up for that service now. It's 20 <laughs> bucks a year or something. 20 bucks a year. And then the Apple takes the 30% cut the first year and, and then they'll drop it to 15 the second year, just like all of their other subscription things, unless you have a secret uh, cable backroom deal, like sometimes happens. Yeah. So the Amazon podcast will get the back, yeah. backroom deal. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so 20 bucks a year, you got to upload into Apple. It's not based on RSS or anything. That's the thing. It only works in Apple Podcasts. There's no, like, secret RSS feed that you can, like, have a password for to use it in your preferred RSS app. And, actually, it was really great that Ashley talked about this a bunch. Uh, it yeah. doesn't work on Android, 
because uh, it only works in Apple Podcasts. And that's fascinating because while Apple's got plenty good market share here in the U.S., it has got like worldwide, it's still bupkis. It's still in the you know mid 80s or mid 15s compared to Android's mid 80s, right? Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's fascinating. It's one of the few Apple content services that is not cross-platform. Apple Music, cross-platform. Apple TV everywhere. Like if a TV exists in the world, there's a team trying to get the Apple TV app on it. AirPlay 2 is on all those TVs. So you can see there will be pressure there. But when I say it's the problem is on space, okay, you can pay Apple to be a part of the service. You can put the thing there. You get the easy button already connected to your Apple account, credit card, all that stuff. You have 30% to Apple. What if you want to target Spotify customers, right? And there people are already paying Spotify for Spotify premium and that you want your mm-hmm. paid podcast to be marketed. Yep. And you want to push the button in Spotify. Instead of Apple. Instead of Apple. Yeah. Guess who definitely still gets a 30% cut on your iPhone? Is Apple. Because Spotify has to pay Apple a in-app purchase fee on everything that happens in its app. Oh, inside its app. Right. Yeah. There's no way to sign up for it. So if Spotify wants to do paid podcasts like this, it still has to pay Apple. Yeah. Right. So you've got, and that's like, what is Apple providing anyone in that scenario? Nothing. Right. It's just, it's literally a tax for just being on the phone. My big question is, will Spotify be allowed to tell customers that if they want to sign up for the paid podcast, they can go to the website and do it? Because right now they're not allowed to say, if you want to sign up for the service, go to our website in the app. Apple doesn't allow you to admit that there's other ways to pay for things outside of the iPhone. That's part of the App Store rules. So will people be be allowed to admit that there's other ways to pay for podcasts outside of Apple Podcasts? Well, it might be like a Kindle situation. Does that count as content or a subscription? Because there's different rules for content and subscriptions and deals. <sighs> like you can buy a Kindle book and on on like Amazon's website and read it on your phone and Apple doesn't take a cut of that. I think the way that it's going to work is when you when you click to buy a Kindle book it like cycles to the Amazon app and then it cycles to the web browser. I think with with podcasts it's just going to cycle between Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the web browser, then to Pocket Casts, and then back to <laughs> Apple Podcasts, just over and over and yeah. over again until your phone explodes. That's what happens. The other part of this, and again, this is all in Ashley's speech, which I highly recommend you read if you're interested in this. If you pay a podcaster in Apple Podcasts, they don't get your email address. They don't get your data. They don't, like So all the th- things that like podcasters do with Patreon, where they set up Discord servers, or they have events or mailing lists, like... Apple isn't enabling any of that stuff that makes at least the current version of the paid podcast market go. Right. And we'll just see how it goes. On the other hand, there's a lot of iPhones in the world. Nearly a billion iOS uh, Find My devices, turns out. Yeah. All I'm saying is we're going to launch a paid podcast and you can pay for it with your Verge card, which is very heavy. <laughs> it's just a solid chunk of steel. We're not, not going to do that. Um, well, maybe we'll. You let me know if you want to see that. Anyway, it's just like the problem, the, the the fact of Apple launching AirTags and paid podcasts in a way that none of its competitors can do on their phone, literally the day before a hearing about Apple being anti-competitive, was nuts. The podcast thing is going to play out. We'll see how it goes. It's not launched yet. Um, but go read Ashley's piece because it's really interesting. That inevitably then leads to AirTags. Yeah. By the way, we were only seven minutes into the keynote at this point. And we're 30 <laughs> minutes into the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but AirTags is kind of the same deal, right? Yeah, so the big first announcement was AirTags, and it's not quite a review because I only did. I didn't want to say I reviewed it when I had it for less than twenty four hours, but I could have it for another week, and I won't learn anything more than I think I already know, <laughs> honestly. Um, so if you want to think of it as a review, uh, I welcome you to. It works the way exactly the way you'd expect it to. It works very, very well. The the little 
thing where you can use the U1 chip to locate it in space is cool. It, it can tell if it's above or below you in your house if you've got a, a multi-story house. We played a game of hide-and-seek where Viren went off into the city and uh, with no phone. no, And so the, the only way that it would get detected is if an iPhone went by him. And then I had to go find him. And he went to a place where there was no pedestrian traffic. It was just cars going by. And so I found him in about 15, 20 minutes because like two cars with iPhones happened to go by him at like 25 miles an hour. Wow. Which is pretty nice. It's like pretty good. So they're good. They're good little pucks. As, so as I was watching your video, you, you called out the thing that I was wondering, which is, right, well, the thing that this really leverages is that there's one billion iPhones in the world. Those billion iPhones are not running iOS 14.5. But you live in San Francisco, where it is very likely that some people are running 14.5. Yeah. So is the AirTags discovery find my network code already in versions of iOS 14? It's the exact same find my code as the devices have been using. It's it's literally no different than than the find mine, the iPhone. Uh, If you took an iPhone 12 and just took out all the screen and stuff, you'd have an AirTag. (laughs) (laughs) I had to upgrade to 14.5 to like make the pairing work, but it showed up to like any iPhone that was on the Find My Network. So that was fine. The thing that's not in the video that is in the written piece, because, you know, when we shoot the video, we like, we take the thing out of the box. We got to take pictures of it. We want to have it stay nice if we can, because, you know, whatever. Uh, The thing gets scratched up, just bang, just scratched and scuffed instantly. And everyone's like, who cares, whatever. And it's like, uh, sure, I agree. I don't I don't care. But also, Apple spent three years making this thing, and they made a choice to make a thing that has really soft plastic. Yeah. They made a choice to make a thing that if you squeeze it, it can't like beep because the, the plastic is the speaker. Yeah, I mean, this is like every first-gen Apple product like scratches a little too easily. Yeah. I think they really believe that like products look better when they're worn, and then everyone's like, no, they don't. <laughs> the second gen one scratches less easily. I mean, Neil, they also sell thirty dollar uh, AirTag cases. So it is incredible that this thing does not have a, a like a keychain hole in it or anything like that. Yeah, Pine, please, please hold forth on on the hole or lack thereof. <laughs> I am just still so furious about this. It is just the most basic <laughs> entry level feature, like the commercial showing it off was a guy finding his keys. And there's just, like, no way to attach it to a key. Like, everyone has done, <laughs> Tile has done this, Samsung has done Even, like, the random knockoff, like, Tile competitors that you can just find on Amazon, all of them have it. Like, I'm, it doesn't need to be, like, a whole robust thing. Just let me, like, loop a, loop a string there or something. I'm, it's just baffling to me. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to see the, like, 12-pack no-name Amazon brand like holders for this thing very soon. Like Apple's counting on it, right? Yeah. Like you don't need an MFI license to make a, a thing with a circle. The one that Apple sells costs more than the AirTag. It costs $35 <laughs> for the keychain, for the official Apple keychain loop for a $30 AirTag. Well, you got to make up that it's see Apple's all about services and keychain loops are a service. <laughs> yeah. That's every it's infrastructure. Really? We're going to have McKenna on to talk about tile, but we can't talk about AirTags without noting that like, only Apple can make this product. Only Apple can leverage this network of phones in the world. Only Apple has access to the UWB chip. When you say it's like a very Apple product, like they've built a very nice product that lives entirely inside of its universe. And it does things that nobody else can do. And it's a, like it doesn't work with Android. The only thing that works with Android is NFC. So that's like one other thing is this is not an anti-theft device. Because in order to disable it, you just like twist it and take the battery out because there's a (laughs) replaceable battery in it, right? So you'd have to like hide it somewhere. Plus, the thing is designed where if it's separated from you and then it starts moving to beep. 
specifically for helping people who have Android phones and not iPhones detect that someone's trying to track them by like hiding this thing in their backpack or whatever. And if you have an iPhone, it will pop an alert on your iPhone saying, hey, there's like a there's like an AirTag that is following you around. Is that like what's the story there? Tell me how that works. So I I, I like buying stuff. I was like, I just buy yeah. these. I don't go anywhere. So I was like, what would I even put them on? So like my keys are one answer. They're often with me. Yep. I was like, I'll just like, I don't know. I'll put one in my car. Like, that'll be funny. I'll, yeah. I'll know where the yeah. car is. But like, if it gets too far away from me, it's just going to start beeping. Yes. Unless you mark it as like part of your family. And then if it's if it's near a phone that's in your family, then it won't. Then it knows it's cool and it, it doesn't need to like freak out and tell somebody that it's that they're being tracked. But if you lose something, does it just start beeping? If it's separated from you, the owner, and it's just sitting somewhere, it just sits somewhere. But if it's separated from you from the owner for a while and then it starts moving, it beeps. Or it tell, and if it's separated from you for a while and it's in the same location as an iPhone for a while, it tells that iPhone owner, hey, there's an AirTag on you. So this is designed very specifically to make itself known. And that's okay. so that you can find stuff. It's not so that you can track thieves or whatever. They really do not want this to be tracking people. And I think this is like when Apple does something, people pay more attention. Like Tile does a bunch of stuff. We did not make a video about Samsung smart tags. I'm just going to tell you right now, we didn't even really consider it. They sent me one. I didn't even take a picture of it. Now that there's one that has a UWB, like I actually do want to check that out a little bit. But Samsung making smart tags for Samsung's ecosystem, at least here in the US, like it, it's cool. It's a cool product, but it's not going to have a major impact on like tech and culture. I'm sorry. Uh, but these things from Apple that with Apple and its marketing and how many how big a market share iPhone has in the U.S. and how many people are just like, oh, I have an iPhone, I should buy these. What the heck? It matters more in some ways. And so Apple had to do more to make sure that people didn't feel creeped out by it because protecting your privacy um, is this thing where it Apple genuinely believes it's important, but it's also genuinely a very important part of their brand. And if Apple lets that part of their brand get tarnished in any way, it's a huge problem for them. Samsung's tags, by the way, for the record, also have a similar feature where like if there's an unknown tag on you and it doesn't recognize it, it'll also let you know. I wonder if they're going to collaborate so that the Samsung tags can alert the Apple phone and the Apple tags can alert Android phones, right? I mean, like that silence you hear is me holding my breath for that to happen. Well, Peter, please breathe. The the product that does that, Neela, is called Tile. Yeah. And this, <laughs> and, the, and this is the thing, right? Like Tile doesn't have access to the harder the iPhone at this level. Now they're in a fight with Apple, so it seems very unlikely they will get access to the harder the phone at this level. If they do participate in the Find My Network, like the Van Move bikes and the other things, the Triplo mm-hmm. I think is the adorably named product that is tile-like, they will just become a commodity. Like They won't be able to monetize the rest of the service the way they want to. A lot here with AirTags. But Apple is like really narrowly constraining what this product is and what it should do, right? They don't want you to use it. To, like, they don't want you to put one on your kid or your pet. They're like, it's to find things. That's all it's for. It is not to like, like my idea of using it for a car. Like, I don't think they want me to do that. No, I don't. Well, maybe. Um, It's not really good at a lot of real-time stuff, I think. I think that's part of it. Like, if you put it on a pet, like an iPhone will pick it up here. And then five minutes later, it might pick it up over yonder. And so I don't, it's not like you can like turn on the, flip on the GPS and like go like track it down in real time. It's sort of a, oh, it popped up over here. Oh, it's over there. By the way, their answer to what, yeah, you should track your kids, by the way, is you should buy them an Apple watch. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's very, very clear. Okay. Speaking of things that are hard to find and find by mysteries, they released a new Apple TV, 
with a new remote. Yay! Yay. They made a whole video about finding things in your couch. And then they did not put a UWP chip or find my support into this remote, which is deeply funny to me. But it is a new remote. Haim, you want to talk about it? It's not bad looking. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't used it yet, so I can't tell you if it's good per se. I can tell you that they got rid of the worst touchpad thing in the whole world. They have like a new iPod scrolling thing. There is still like sort of a little touchpad, but it's in the middle of like a physical D-pad now that you can use to just navigate around an operating system. It is high contrast, so you can actually tell which end is up. It just, it looks better in almost every way. Not that there was anything worse that they could have done. I will also <laughs> say that the that there is someone who is going to make a fortune making like a remote holder that has like a little U1 slot on the back for an AirPod, uh, an AirTag. Oh God, oh God. yes. Like, yep. that's, a, that's a free business idea. I will buy one. <laughs> uh, so it also has a power button. Power button. Which yep. is, thank God. And a mute button. And my very, very, very favorite part is the Apple remote currently has a menu button. And the menu button serves as basically go back, right? It takes you back to like an earlier menu. I don't know. It's just called menu. And it's now a back arrow. So we now have an iOS-powered device with a physical back button, just like a classic Android phone. Look, all these ideas, they're just they're floating around in the ether. I love it. This remote, to me, is Apple's been the most stubborn about it for the longest time. Right, they put out several models of, of the Apple TV. They've stuck with it, and now they've just like caved to reality. I will again. I haven't held it either, but like this is the most reasonable remote of any of the streamers. Like the Google Chromecast remote, they didn't try very hard. It's a good remote, <laughs> but it's too small. It's it's yeah. too light. Like that thing will just fly away. Like you're holding it. It's like I'm tired of being held, and it will just leave your hand and fly away into ether because it weighs nothing. Yeah, the Roku remotes are ugly as hell. Yeah, but they have a headphone jack, and so I will love them even though they have stupid buttons for crackle. They look like Fisher Price toys. Also, Apple's not going to put a, a headphone jack on its remote because Apple doesn't sell headphones with 3.5 millimeter headphone jacks anymore. I mean, fair. They want you to use your AirPods. The Fire TV remotes are bonkers. Like this has a chance of going from last to first. In the rankings. That's all I'm saying. Okay. And it's like the most cave to reality. It's like the only one that would be a more cave to reality is when Apple moves the charging port off the mouse to the front of the mouse. <laughs> and Which they, they haven't do. done it yet. <laughs> they updated that mouse. And they didn't do it yet. I will say that the addition of power and mute, I'm not going to, I don't want you to overread it. I'm not overthinking it. This is like cord cutting one. And now you just have a game console and you have a streaming box connected to your TV and there's nothing else. And they're just assuming that this is your single remote. And I, that's like it's a moment because for a long time, the streaming box vendors, when we demand them, like what? Just put a volume button on this. So like everyone has a cable box. Mm-hmm. Like that remote is always sitting on your coffee table. We don't overcomplicate our remotes. And now this remote is very much this should be your only remote for your TV. In Apple fashion, there's no way to change the input. So, like, you can use HDMI CEC to turn it on and it will switch to an Apple TV. But if you're holding the Siri remote, there's no way to switch to, to a different thing. No, you just put uh, you CEC yeah. it with your game console. You just, right. But, like, the Apple remote can switch you to, to a thing. It can control all the other things on your TV, volume and power. But you cannot leave Apple using the Apple remote. <laughs> well, the, the Google remote is even worse. It, it's the same limitation, but it actually has an input button. Yeah. If you had a put button, I would like there's CEC and there's like idealistic CEC, you know, like yeah. 
that input button represents the hopes and dreams of a standard that does not meet those hopes and dreams in any way, shape or form. Uh, so that's the remote. We're going to get our, you can buy it for 60 bucks just on your yep. own. It's not, it's coming. Uh, you can pre-order it on the 30th. That to me is hilarious because the Apple TV 4k is 179 and the remote costs more than an entire Chromecast with another remote. It costs more yep. than almost any Roku you'd want to buy. And it's just the remote. So you end up $250 deep into the Apple TV ecosystem just to get like a usable control service. I, God bless them. I know so many people who have already who are like, they're going to buy the remote. Like I got yeah. text from friends who are like, I know you're dunking on this remote and how much it costs, but like, I'm going to order three of them for my house. I will, I will say the, the 180, if you buy the new one, it does come with the remote. So indicating again that the remote on its own for $60 is massively overpriced. <laughs> Anyhow, we should talk about the new TV. The big new feature is 60, it's high frame rate HDR, right? Yeah. Yeah. It has an A12. Yeah. And it does the, the calibration with your iPhone, which is very interesting. I'm very curious to see how that works. The old ones do it too. That's the That was the whole like oh, subtle right. thing hidden in a support page is this like very cool tech demo we did, which is really smart, but you don't need the new one for it. So let's talk hmm. about that separately because that is a very complicated situation. The new Apple TV updated processor A12, and it supports what Apple calls high frame rate HDR, yep. which is really just 60 hertz. HDR. Higher. Right. <laughs> Hi, higher. Higher. Like the Apple TV already to at this, like the one that you can buy today runs at 60 hertz Dolby Vision. Like that's its preferred place to run. But now mm-hmm. it can play back video at that too. So it's higher. And then I would point out every game console is like 120 hertz HDR. And some of them can change those hertz to a different number if they want to. Yeah. Like on the fly. So this does have HDMI 2.1, but does not support variable refresh. So what you would want, what you like the dream is that you run the interface at 60 or 120. So it's like super smooth. And then when you're watching a movie, which is shot at 24, you drop the refresh rate. So you don't have to do any wonky frame mathematics to make it play right. This does not do that. It's just going to run at 60. Correct. There is no answer to this question, except it's still like yay big and I don't know if you've seen the size of a PS5 to run at 120 hertz <laughs> demands a, like a gravity well situation of physical size. So maybe that's it. But it's a very minor spec bump to the Apple TV. No functionality update. Really, the major functionality update is this calibration, which is coming to the older one, too. It's a cool feature, though. Like, I'm almost surprised it took this long just because calibrating a TV is like such a nightmare for like most people. And this is just like, we won't calibrate the TV. We'll just calibrate the output on the device using these cameras that we know very well. Like, it's a smart move. It's a smart, I'm, it's a, I'm dying to try it out. Because calibrating the yeah. input of a thing to compensate for the output of another thing is like, it's, ha- it's a hack. It's a hack that will probably work, right? I mean, like, Apple's not going to get it to- totally wrong. Like, that's not their style. But it's very hacky. And things like motion smoothing, backlight, contrast. Like, they can't adjust yeah. any of that. They can just do the colors. So they're going to get your colors right, but, like, your motion smoothing might still be on. All of this is to say they should just make a TV. Yeah, it's a it's a stopgap, but it's it's for... This is for, like, the person who's not going to go and buy, like, you know, the, the 4K calibration disc and spend three hours in the menus, which I'm told they exist. I'm not one of them, but... <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? I mean, but it's for most people, and I think... But mo- the settings most people need to change are not the color balance of their TV, 
right. It's the motion handling. It's the backlight stuff. It's the, the thing that, you know, helps you get the contrast ratio you want. So we'll see again. I'm dying to try it out. I think it'll be fun, but do I think Apple should just make a TV? I do think Apple should just make a TV. I'm sorry. I admit it. And then it, it is necessary to point out that Apple continues to make and sell an Apple TV HD, which maxes out at 1080p and costs $150. But at least it's cheap, Neelai. It's so expensive. Those those A7 chips are, are real pricey still these days. From what I understand, the, they, they continue to make it because people just keep buying them. Who are these people? It's the MacBook Air of Apple TVs. <laughs> it's so confusing. I, I want to know. I want to meet the person who is looking at this product and going, "I am ready to spend one hundred and fifty dollars on an Apple TV, but not one hundred and eighty dollars on the one that is five and a half years newer." Uh, you, you've got old TVs. You don't want all the tracking. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you just don't want to be in the Roku ecosystem. I don't know. They're, but from what I understand, it is still on the shelves because people keep buying them at a rate that supports continuing to make it. And Apple's just. They're not going to not take the free money. They're like, Apple isn't bad right. in business, right? They're like, oh, free money. We'll continue to collect some of it. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, well, I'm very excited to try this remote. I'm almost certainly going to buy one for my existing Apple TV 4K. Um, the, uh, the thing I should say about high, quote unquote, high frame rate HDR, not a lot of content. What you want, you want sports. It's 60 hertz in HDR. That's like the dream. And Apple is like, you know, they've got a chicken and egg problem. So they're putting out the hardware that can stream 60 hertz HDR, small, compact. None of the other streamers can do that. Maybe the game consoles can, but they're game consoles. And then they've got to seed the the broadcast side of it. So like you will note the Super Bowl this year was not broadcast in 4K HDR. Hmm. They just, they're, like CBS was like, ah, too much money. They just didn't do it. So we're like a long way away. And the previous year, I think Fox did. So we're, we're still a long way away from there being the content to support this box. But I think Apple is saying we're going to get the box in people's hands. So you the content side of it can come along for the ride. We'll see. I mean, I'm just excited to play this. Remote. I cannot believe I'm going to buy this. Remote. Like I went to the order page. You can't order it yet. And I was like, uh, why am I here? Anyhow. All right. We're going to take a break. We got to talk about the iMac. We got to talk about the M1 revolution. Yeah. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right. So the Apple released two iPads. One is an iPad and the other one is a Mac. (laughs) (laughs) One comes in a case and one's on a stand. Yeah. One has a touchscreen. One doesn't. All right, walk us through, Dieter. So, okay, uh, first came the iMac. We were expecting a redesigned super thin iMac, and Apple uh, delivered. And they delivered it in a bunch of really nice, bright colors. They just threw the M1 chip in there, the system on chip, the you know whole thing that is already in the MacBooks and the Mac Mini. So it's not any more powerful or different. Uh, so this, to me, is like, I don't want to call it entry level because it's very powerful and very good and it actually is a revolution in laptops, but they didn't push it 
yet. That's not what this iMac is about. This iMac is about being relatively inexpensive, having very pretty colors, and looking very pretty, and being for, like, at a consumer level. They chose to make it 24 point something inches, so it's in between the 27 and the 21. You can get a Touch ID Magic Keyboard. The keyboard itself has a Touch ID, and it goes through a secure tunnel in the Bluetooth channel. Yet another Apple extension of a wireless standard that works just with Apple stuff, but cool. It's cool. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's gonna be very fast. I mean, the MacBook Air is very fast. It has a couple of fans if you need them. The question, honestly, is, is the design polarizing? Do Will people love it or will it get tired kind of fast? And I hate to tell you this because I know that there's an article on CNN from somebody saying mm, this thing has got mm, terrible design and I hate mm. it. I don't like it. I don't like the design of the new iMac. Ooh, really? I don't like it. I love the colors, but I don't like the chin. They, they kept the chin. Uh, they kept it very thin. And so rather than make it a little bit thicker and put the components behind the screen, they chose to keep the chin. They chose to put a white bezel around the screen, which is um, fascinating. It's one of those choices where like a lot of people be like, that sucks. And then after a while, it just like, becomes the way everybody does things. Um, and I'm actually thinking about maybe buying a Samsung frame TV. And so like, <laughs> it's ironic that I'm... Um, so I'm, I'm willing to give the white bezel the benefit of the doubt. I don't know the answer to this, but it looks like they kept the hinge really tight on there so that it like won't work with a vase amount. It's actually lower. No, you can buy a Vesa one. There's a Vesa version? Okay, thank God. And if you buy the Vesa version and change your mind, you call AppleCare and they'll, they'll ship you the foot. Okay, so that's great. I don't like the little foot, the little heel on the foot, but that's I'm not going to gripe about that. Dieter, what, where'd you go wrong, man? They look so fun. The chin is unnecessary. Why with the why with the chin? Why with the chin? That's where the computer is. But why not put the computer behind the screen? Because the chin is is what makes it an iMac at this point. If you look at this, if you looked at this and you didn't see the logo, mm. and you know what an iMac looks like, because Apple hasn't changed the design in like I don't know, fifteen years. You look at this and it still says iMac. It doesn't say laptop screen. It doesn't say generic laptop screen. It doesn't say monitor. It doesn't say Dell uh-huh. or, or whatever. There's no Apple logo on it, but you see the chin yeah. on this thing and it says that that's an iMac to you. Also, that's where the speakers are, right? Like <sighs> All of this could have gone behind the screen. Here's my, here's my rebuttal to you, which is not so much a rebuttal as a statement of facts. One... They're going to sell so many of these. Oh, yeah. No, I, I like here's the thing. I'm not saying it's a bad computer. I just am not deeply in love with the design. But you're right. They're going to sell a billion of these. I think maybe if you buy a yellow one, you will come to regret that decision over time. Like, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, colors come and go out of fashion. It happened with the, the very first IMAX. If you're the person yep. who bought a, a blue Dalmatian IMAX, like... Let me know how that sat with you a couple of years later, <laughs> like the one printed with flowers like that's that those were computers as fashion. Yeah. And Apple got completely away from it and they went to very timeless but very staid designs. Yeah. And I think the way I am thinking about it is like the classic two by two Steve Jobs grid, which Apple is like far away from now. But right. You've got a desktop. You've got a portable. You've got a professional and you've got a consumer. And this thing is like consumer desktop. The most oh, consumer sure. desktop that maybe any computer company has made in a long time. Like, uh, there are lots of Windows on ones out there, but they're like cut down. They're cheap, right? They're not like these very focused consumer, yeah, designed products. This one is like the most laser targeted consumer desktop that Apple or any company has made in like a very long time. Yeah, it is an iPad on a stand, right? Like it looks like that. Even their own like images in the keynote where they were comparing the design of the iMac to the new iPad Pro. It's like, oh, these are 
Oh, yeah. you all talk. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out. But I think that like the chin and the colors, like that stuff, people are going to go to stores and they're going to have spent a year working from home and they might spend the rest of their lives working from home and they want a bigger display. And this thing is like it's 1200 bucks or whatever, 1299. Yeah. Like people are gonna be like, yeah, I do want a bright orange computer. Like, that's so rad. And they're going to be very happy with how fast and performant it is because the M1, again, is great on the Mac. It's and I, so I, good. I will say this. That CNN article you're mentioning was very bad. I don't think you're quite – like it was like like old school anti-Apple blogging. Yeah, yeah. Like it reminded me of like when like an iPod would come out and people would be like, well, the creative jukebox is much – like you, you're just on another planet of <laughs> yeah. weird weirdness. I just think that – I take your points about, okay, it's got a chin. It's weird and two-tone. That stuff is going to fade away from people, and they're going to be like, this is the first fun computer that anyone has sold in like quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally true. Uh, it's too bad about the camera, question mark? I don't know. It's 1080 at least. There's yeah. that. Um, but I feel like they could have maybe – they could have just tried a little bit harder there. Right. So here's – here's a th- we, we, we should talk about all these things at once. There are multiple models, by the way, the iMac. Uh, there's a space model. There's the step up model. There's like a whole. I'm glad you're here. There's a whole port situation with the iMac that <laughs> yes. is just like unbelievably complicated. <laughs> there's an Ethernet adapter on the power brick. That's cool. Is it cool? It's cool. The power thing is a mag magsafe. Just like clicks in. Right. So my I'm looking at an iMac right now. I've got an ancient iMac. The power supply is integrated. Right. So you just plug in the standard power cord to the back, and you're off to the races. This thing does not have an integrated power supply. It's an outboard power supply. The color, the plug, that MagSafe plug, is color-coded to the iMac and hardwired into that brick. So they have to make, like, a million bricks. Yeah, that's true. It's, like, crazy levels of complexity. I can't wait to trip over that cord and, and knock out my iMac at a crucial moment of my workday. No, it's, it's going to magnet right out. You're like, oh, my God, save a magnets again. Yeah, and then the computer's going to shut off. It's the <laughs> power true. supply. It's not a laptop. <laughs> they should put true. a little battery in there. I mean, the thing is already a MacBook Air. They should just throw a battery, MacBook battery in the back of it. Why not? Only some of them, only the, the up model has the Ethernet plug in the power supply, but you can buy that. You can buy that separately. And then mm. the ports. So there are, are two. Hi, let's see if I can get this right. The base model has two ports. They're USB-C connectors. Mm-hmm. But they are Thunderbolt 3 ports mm-hmm. that also support USB 4. That is correct. Okay. They sit there on their own. There's a headphone jack, which I, they moved it to the side, which, which is, is great. great. Yeah. It's so much easier to hit. And I'm really excited to just have an SD card reader dongle hanging off the back of my iMac for all <laughs> yeah. time because that's what's going to happen. And then the up model has four USB-C connectors, two of which are Thunderbolt 3 USB 4. And the other two... A USB 3. This is the part where I try and convince you that USB-C <laughs> is a technology that makes sense and is generally good. What? It's just increasingly harder to say that with a straight face on these on these podcast appearances <laughs> with, with each passing month. So it's four ex- identical connectors, two of which have little lightning bolts above them, and those are the special ones. And then the Ethernet connector is on the power plug, if that's what you say is iron. But only if you buy the a bottle. I would compare this, by the way, to the M1 Mac Mini, which also has... Two right. USB-C shaped Thunderbolt USB four ports, but then just to spice it up, has two USB-A plugs. Oh, and you can get it with a faster Ethernet now too, if you oh want. My God. Anyway, I think this iMac is great. I I don't think again targeted right in that consumer sweet spot. Right. I don't think they think 
those customers want an SD card slot. I think it's the same as a MacBook Air. Like there isn't one in the MacBook Air. We don't expect one to be there. When they make a pro version of this, which I would expect to have like a 30 inch display, mm-hmm. if there's no SD card slot, yeah. like then it's a mess. Yeah. Well, and maybe there's hope because we are expecting SD card slot on the MacBook Pro when they, because we hear that that's kind of going to come with ports. Yep. So I don't know. I, I just think this thing is great. I cannot wait to get our hands on it. I cannot wait to like be told we're getting sent the silver one and not like the bright blue one. That would suck. So we'll see. But I, I just think they're going to sell so many of these. I think it is also wild. So I keep talking about this as a consumer product. M1. All the consumer Macs have M1 chips except for the one MacBook Pro, yeah, which is like the most consumery MacBook Pro. <laughs> iPad Pro, big surprise, now has an M1 chip and a bunch of features that these things don't have. Yeah. So if you had asked me before the event, will they put an M1 chip in the iPad Pro? I'd be like, no, Apple's whole thing is they make custom chips for the hardware and that they need the A-series chip for iOS because it does special iOS graphical things that the M1 chip doesn't need or vice versa. They're different chips. It turns out, nope, I'm dumb. That's wrong. They just, <laughs> they just like, it's the same thing. Um, and yeah, I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's very fast. I'm sure they, they've got numbers about it being much, much faster in terms of graphics and CPU performance compared to the last iPad Pro. Um, they're actually telling us how much RAM is inside these things for some reason. If you get the one and two terabyte model, that's when you get from eight to 16 gigs of RAM because, you know, that's the same thing with Android phones. When there's more storage, you need more RAM. And we'll talk about the screen on the big one, but just like, I don't know. The, everything gets an M1. They just, it's just like they, they just made a bunch of them and they're having an Oprah moment. And they, they just, this, it's the thing that they can just put in all of their consumer devices now, right? But the iPad Pro isn't a consumer device. That's what I'm saying. They make consumer yeah. level iPads with lightning ports and home buttons. And then they make the iPad Pro, which is supposed to be like the best thing they can make. Okay. And it tops out at the same process like literally now the same processor is their like colorful consumer max it's like a sliding scale the best the best ios device has the entry-level mac processor there's the regular ios stuff and then the ipads used to get a better ios chip and instead of getting the better ios chip they now get the worst mac processor (laughs) and the worst is like too hardcore here like it's a the less good because there'll be a better one like that's the the rumors is like there's going to be an m2 or an m1x or something for like the beefy pro laptops and desktops so yeah yeah, it's pro enough to be on the low end of the laptop scale but it's not on the high end of the computer scale yet okay here's my question will people hear that it has an m1 processor the same processor as the mac and then think that it can run mac apps no. No. That won't happen? No. I, I, maybe we would think that and okay. wander around in a fugue state of confusion. <laughs> but we're the people who are, like, counting the ports. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I think most people are going to be like, it's an iPad, and now it's, like, really fast. And the, the camera on the front can follow me around the room in any video ca- conferencing app I use. Yeah. Which makes up for not putting it where it should be. It's still on the side, but they, they added a bunch of tech to it so that it can follow you around <laughs> instead of just putting it where it should be. I mean, I think that's cool. They would have had to redesign the whole chassis. It's the same case. If you move the camera, yeah. you got to redi- redesign the whole the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. I think they, they went with the camera can pan and scan automatically to like so they can tell us that it's fine, that it's not on the top. Right. Yeah. But I, you know, there's a question like, okay, you've got M1 Max, and they all have got the same chip. They've all got cameras. You're talking about how all the cameras can use the, the image processing and the M1. All, and it's like, well, why can't the Max do this camera thing? Why can't the Max just have the good camera? 
Why can't they have the good camera? Why can't they uh, put Face ID on the Macs? Yeah, and I think that's like less so can it run Mac apps and more why are there now these synthetic differences between products that right. by all means should just be enabled the same everywhere. Like at their core, the these are the same device. Like if you strip away the screen and the speakers and the cases, like the new iPad Pro and the new iMac are the same computer. They just run different software and, and come in different shapes. But Heim, what is a computer? Is it really <laughs> the motherboard and the processor? Or is it the, the whether or not the screen has a, a capacitive layer that uh, accepts touch input? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's iPad OS. It's not a computer. <laughs> what, what do you want me to tell you? They're literally begging me to talk about the ship of Theseus again, where if you take the parts out and replace them, is it the same thing? Yeah. They're begging me to do it. I'm not going to. I just did. <laughs> you definitely just did. Well, here's what I would say. And I, I think this is starting to come into focus you know, like what Apple will tell you is the whole computer market is growing and the iPad and the Mac are growing at the top of the growth, right? No one's yeah. confused. Everyone's just buying everything. And if you have a Mac, it's likely that you have another iOS device in your life, right? Like that's their argument and they're like making money hand over fist. It's not a wrong argument. I think the thing that is really happening is the decision to not put touch on the Mac is like starting to mean that you've got two different riffs on the same OS that is converging, but the user interfaces are diverging, right? So like, so your M1 Mac can run an iPad app natively. Most developers are opting out of that. They don't like that idea. They are being pushed to use Catalyst, which like reuses your code with a different interface on it. (laughs) And those are terrible too. Yeah, real bad. But like, that's where they're headed, right? They want the app Mm. developers to use the same basic set of frameworks and tools. Oh, that's what Apple is headed. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's not where developers are, are eager to go. It's like nobody likes Catalyst. But like, you know, Apple, when they when they talked about the iMac and the M1, they like did the laundry list of apps that have been updated for M1. Yeah. And so now people are just on the train, including Slack, which uh, famously is an Electron app. So like there's a whole category of apps that are going to come along for the ride there. All, the, all this to me is like the only two screens left in my life that I can't touch are my TV and my Mac. And I think Apple's just like boxed in by that decision in a way that they're like kind of happy to be. But look to everyone else, like with a little bit of distance is like, why don't you just, why don't you just let me run Mac OS? Like Monica wrote on the verge today, like, just let me run Mac OS on this iPad. Like then you'll have a surface competitor and you'll like be off to the races. Yeah. And like, there's a world where they could, you know, make like a button you switch and it turns it back into iOS mode and, and it goes to that home screen. Like, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. You want to make the argument that, like, you know, users who don't want a computer can can have this. Mm-hmm. Like, Apple has something similar. It has that launchpad interface on the Mac where you do, like, the pinch and gesture, and then you get the iPad iOS grid with your Mac apps. Like, these don't need to be exclusive ideas. They just don't want to do it. <laughs> I think if you make one computer that does both, you don't get to sell two computers, and I mm-hmm. think that is on Apple's mind. Right now, iPad is a subset of the Mac because you can run iPad apps on the Mac. But what if that just got inverted? Like, you put a touchscreen on the Mac, and then I'm going to want to, like, you know what I mean? Like, just make them the same. <laughs> like, there was always the argument, like, Android and Chrome OS should merge. And the, uh, Google's always like, no, we're not doing that. And, like, finally, that sort of fizzled out a little bit. That is still coming for Apple, and it still sounds like a dumb idea to Apple. And it sounds like a dumb idea to me when I really think about it. But you know what else is dumb? I can't touch my MacBook screen. <laughs> and the UI is designed to ask me to do it. The buttons look like buttons you should touch. Yeah. I mean, I just, it, the, we still have like an ongoing bet with Joanna, and I don't remember the terms, but I just know I'm going to lose. Because I think my, was, my part of that bet was 
the first time they radically redesigned one of the laptops that I'd touch. And like, here we are with a radically redesigned iMac and they didn't do it. And I, I think I'm just going to end up paying the money. Uh, last thing we got to talk about this iPad is in fact, the display of the 12.9. So the, the smaller of the iPad pros, same screen technology, M1 chip, a spec bump, bigger iPad, much bigger spec bump, M1 chip, new mini LED LCD screen can get up to 1600 nits of peak brightness when you're running HDR mode. It's cool. I can't wait to see it. So a traditional, I'm going to do it. A traditional LCD has LEDs and backlights. The iPad certainly does. iPad Pro displays, Chris Welch has gone through this many times, kind of uneven. He's he's traded in a few iPad Pros to get a better screen. 10,000 mini LEDs or so, 22,000-ish dimming zones. This gets you, lets you cut all of the light output from those dimming zones. When you're watching a movie, you get like really nice black blacks. We'll see, like this has been hit or miss on televisions. Like local dimming is like one of those technologies that sounds great and sometimes can go sideways. I'm confident Apple did a good job here to be perfectly honest, but we haven't seen it yet. So we don't know, but here's another thing. M1 chip powering a very nice display technology Sounds like it'd be great on a laptop. Not on the other M1 computer <laughs> they just released. And the prices are pretty close. Sounds like it'd be great on a laptop. So uh, very cool. You know, I think what are we suckers for if not erratic port schemes and connectivity issues and display technologies? But we haven't seen it yet. I do yeah. think it's interesting that only the bigger one got the mini LED screen. I mean, the price on the, the big one went up 100 bucks too. It did go up 100 bucks. Apple doesn't ever, they don't ever break out sales like we don't know which one is more popular really i would guess that the big one is like the halo one it's the laptop replacement i have a smaller one so i'm just this is the thing that would have made me upgrade but i don't want the bigger one so alas anyhow yeah. we all this stuff is coming out i will say apple will not say if it's affected by the broader tech industry chip shortages but this event was a little late all the pre-orders are opening at the end of april and this stuff is coming out in may so we're a ways off from actually seeing any of it in person, which I'm dying to do. I will say that I got fooled by a tweet. John Morrison tweeted a picture of like AR and it, yeah. fooled, it like definitely fooled me for like five minutes. I was very jealous. And I was like, ah, John, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, well played my friend. We'll see, but I'm excited to get our hands on all this and play with it. The last thing I want to call out before we uh, take a break and go to McKenna is uh, there was a big hack this week. Apple supplier Quanta ransomware attack. They, Hackers broke into Quanta, stole schematics, demanded $50 million or it would release the stuff. Quanta didn't pay. The schematics were leaked. Now they're demanding the money from Apple. I'm pretty confident Apple's not going to pay either. They're going to pay the money. I'm like a private security force to like drop out of the sky. Like the Avengers. Yeah. Apple's going to pay the Avengers yeah. um, to find the hackers. I don't want to get too much into like media history, but you don't want to like you don't want to be the muscle for the like their thing is we'll expose you unless you pay us. And then the people they would like, if we run with it, we have done the exposing. So yep. we become the muscle in the, in the criminal enterprise. And like, you don't want to do that. So we are reporting on the hack. We are going to do our best to avoid reporting on the leaks themselves because that's ethically fraught. Whereas with like a normal leak, like Mark Gurman reports this, we know he's a reporter and we know there's not like an extortion scheme under his work. Right. You can, we can talk about it for hours and hours, but I just, we know it's happening. That's our position. If you have questions, you can just tweet at me and I'll answer them. But just so you know, we are not unaware of the leaks. We've actually seen the documents. Uh, we're just being cautious. Like the 2016 election was turned on a 
a leak of hacked documents. Like this is a long story in the media uh, and we're just trying to be very careful. Okay. We're gonna take a break. Haim, thank you so much. Pleasure as always. We're going to be right back with McKenna Kelly to talk about the hearings in Congress this week. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. All right, McKenna Kelly is here. Hey, McKenna. Hey, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel like we only see you when there's hearings, but like the real sine wave here is the last time we saw you, the hearing was bad, but this Mm -hmm. time the hearing is good. Right. It was a really, it was a good time to do my take saying that they were bad. And now um, we get a cool Senate one with Klobuchar um, about the app store and it was really substantive and good. (laughs) It was like very bipartisan. Like everyone showed up prepared. Mm -hmm. Okay. When, when these hearings come up next time, what is the thing I should look for to know whether it's going to be good or mm. six hours of yes, no questions that nobody answers? If it's in the Senate. <laughs> if it's in the Senate, great. <laughs> yeah, when it's it's got to be somebody who like knows their suffers, just got done running for president, you know, running the hearing, <laughs> yeah. which is Klobuchar, <laughs> and takes it very seriously. Like the hearing yesterday was really good for the most part because there was like dramatically less members asking questions there, there wasn't a lot of room for them to get a little too loopy with what they were asking trying to force these crazy yes or no answers yeah so i have a different answer which is related to what you're saying but here's mm-hmm. a much more reductive answer you know it's going to be bad if jack dorsey is there right not because jack dorsey <laughs> is bad he looks very tired mm-hmm. but like his very presence drives any any average member of Congress completely batshit. And they're looking yeah. for the soundbite where they got Jack Dorsey to admit that big tech is censoring them. And then everything is like off the rails. Right. No, I, I totally agree. This one was very much like it's a bunch of companies running a business and they're talking about who makes the money. And like the opportunity for a soundbite does not exist because the opportunity mm-hmm. to yell at. Honestly, I feel like any average person who uses the Internet, given the opportunity to yell at Jack Dorsey, would not be able to resist. <laughs> so like, I don't want to like overthink it, but like that's very much like, you know, it's going to go off the rails when Dorsey's there. Anyhow. So this one was a little bit more sedate, like you're saying, run by Klobuchar and her committee. Everyone showed it prepared. It didn't have this weird format issue. What was the substance of it? Right. So basically what happened is Apple sent, you know, some counsel Google sent some random counsel that isn't a CEO. <laughs> and then we had representatives from Tile, Match Group, the company that, you know, owns Tinder, you know, all the dating apps, and then also Spotify. So three 
big companies that have a lot to complain about when it comes to the app store fees. And it was really to get to the heart of what what can Congress do to ensure that, you know, companies get, you know, a fair shake in the app stores. And throughout the hearing, it, 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 there was a lot revealed. It was like kind of remarkable um, how much, you know, folks said. And the thing that was really um, interesting to me was that that I think really put all of this into context was that for Match Group, you know, the Tinder company, they said that a fifth of like a lot of their spending is app store fees. Yeah. It was like $500 million or something. And I think that really put into context, like how much, you know, this affects, you know, businesses on the app store. Like, like it has to be like their like top three just expenses for the entire company, right? Mm-hmm. Like eight, like salaries and then app store fees. <laughs> well, right. so there, one of the things that I, I caught during that entire exchange was once you really drill down into where Apple will charge the money and where it won't, some of the boundaries get really fuzzy, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a, there was a long exchange about Uber, and they're like, "Well, Uber is a physical product." And then Match Group is like, but we pay you a lot of money. And they're like, that's a digital project product. And then like Tinder is not a digital product. Like the, <laughs> right, you like push the button in Uber and the cab shows up at your house and you push the button in Tinder and like theoretically you're gonna go somewhere and like a date comes to you. Like I was just really watching how you were gonna finish that sentence, Neil. I could have gone sideways. <laughs> the only time I've ever used Tinder is when our old video VP let me use his account for a day and he was like, You can never touch this again, you've ruined my life. Um <laughs> Because I've just I've been out of that game for a long time, but I just think that is there's an inherent fuzziness here where Apple just decides it's going to make money, mm-hmm. and if you really drill down into it, that fuzziness kind of like you realize it's just Apple decided, and I think they did a pretty good job of pushing on that. Right. I mean, it definitely got the Apple you know representative Kyle and Deer to really he was a little bit shaky on that kind of stuff. Trying to it seemed like he was starting to equate well. Tinder isn't an escorting app. You know, there is no <laughs> money exchanged and these kinds of things. And it made it really, really hard and for them to even give a clear answer. If anything, I think the hearing just showed just really how dramatic, you know, the effects are on businesses like that. And it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what comes out of this going forward for sure. Uh, okay, can you talk a little bit about what Tile was like in the hearing because you know we just spent this all this time talking about AirTags just got announced. I've been playing around with them, and Tile surely cannot be happy that Apple has released a product that can do more stuff than Tile's allowed to do on the iPhone. Right? Yeah, it was a day after Apple announced AirTags, and Tile definitely put all of that in their opening statement. <laughs> and the thing that really stuck out to me, it wasn't even just it wasn't just like oh you know it's a competing app. Look at them copying us and all this stuff, but it was like. Apple has this technology that we do not have access to that makes this anti-competitive. For example, a big thing that popped up that I found really interesting um, from the Tile representative was ultra-wideband. Tile can't use that on the iPhone. That is proprietary to Apple right now. And it makes it impossible to compete on a level playing field between the two companies. And that's really, I think that is, it's smart of Tile to pursue it. It is true. They don't Mm -hmm. have access to the chip. It's also one of those places where be careful what you wish for. Right. Right. Like demanding that every time Apple adds a hardware feature to the phone, everyone has to be able to use it, particularly for technology that allows apps to track you, is like, how do you craft that legislation so it's correct? And I don't 
I didn't really hear like a great answer. I just heard a lot of complaints. I, the previous one, Dieter, I think that Apple ran into this was with the NFC chip in the iPhone. They brought it into it with NFC because that, you know, they had it tied to their secure enclave in such a way and they wouldn't let any other app do it. And that was really dumb because like you can also just use NFC for links. So there's something weird there. You could argue, and I think I would, that maybe there's some stuff with like the W1. That's like not fully a hardware thing, but it's like mm-hmm. a, they have a tendency to take some wire, some wireless technology, some radio, and then extend it. But instead of extending and embracing and extinguishing, they're extending and like putting in a, in a tunnel that only Apple can use. Yeah. They make it better. So for their own products. And I, the tile question for me coming the day after the AirTags, it was I mean, it's just one of those where, like, the AirTags are going to end up being a superior product because they have access to your phone all of the time in a way that Tile cannot. Apple is putting the support for AirTags, and they're not shy about this, on a billion iPhones. There's just a billion iPhones that are going to run that network so you can find stuff. There's no way Tile could ever even get to a billion installations of its app, which is what it would need. The thing is that I found really, really interesting, and this is the way that the tile brought up like pre-2019, pre-iOS 13, find my, and how the relationship with Apple was a lot, you know, more genial and friendly, how even on like Apple showcase days, they were showing tile products. And then as soon as the find my app was introduced, you know, the revamped in iOS 13, that friendly relationship completely diminished. And that was something that other folks at the at the hearing also brought up with Spotify. They were like, oh, with the App Store, they want all of us, you know, to um, help Apple out and like do all this, you know, developing and get all these cool apps on the iPhone. Um, but as soon as, you know, Apple gets into the market, that friendship and that, you know, relationship totally collapses. And that was another theme throughout the hearing as well. One of the I think this was the the executive from Match said that, you know, Apple's stance toward them was you owe us all of your money. Like all of your success is because of our phone. Maybe this is too reductive. Tell me what you think of this. But I really think that Apple thinks of it as their phone. Even when you buy it and it's in your pocket, Apple still thinks of it as their phone. And every dollar that passes through that phone is like because of them and their work and their effort. And they think they should get a piece of every dollar. I am inclined to say that it's my phone and I should be able to do whatever I want with it. And that means that if I want to install some crazy tracking service that will inevitably hack me or leak my information, like that's my risk. The right answer is somewhere in the middle. And I just I don't know that Apple is ever going to change its mind about it being its phone. I think Congress is going to have to force Apple to change its mind. But in the hearing, I didn't I didn't quite get a sense that Klobuchar or Mike Lee or anybody else had a sense of how to do it yet. Right. They're still kind of on this fact finding side of things. Right. I mean, so when it comes to these congressional hearings, they end up coming on the heels of some new legislation introduced. And it's to find, you know, broad support for that legislation to, you know, provide evidence and examples for why that new legislation is necessary. And this was the first hearing that Klobuchar led on antitrust after she introduced this like sweeping antitrust package in February, which in it includes, you know, things that would help the FTC, DOJ, you know, law enforcement officials bring big cases against companies like Apple for things like what we're talking about now, which could be defined as, you know, exclusionary conduct. How does this connect to the the hearings that we saw in the House, right? We, Representative Cicilline held a hearing and we also thought that hearing was very good. We've spoken to him and other people on that committee several times. How are these two tracks connected? Right. So, I mean, Klobuchar has said it before. She is working with folks in the House. This really is a fact-finding, evidence-revealing situation to get other people on board. 
we focused on in a lot of our reporting the folks who are in these committee rooms, the lawmakers who are there. But those aren't the only people on the floor voting to pass this legislation, right? It's other folks um, and other committees who aren't doing all this investigative work who, you know, might be getting some money from the big tech companies, you know, vote a certain way or support different things. So really what this is and working alongside together, I don't I don't know and I don't think anybody knows what regulation is going to look like by the end of the year, if anything will get approved in the next couple of years or anything like that. But at this point, it really is fact finding and building broad coalitions to get, you know, to get to some consensus and pass something through. Connect that to the other thing that happened in Congress yesterday, which is Lena Khan faced her first mm-hmm. confirmation hearing to become uh, part of the FTC. Lena Khan, for people who aren't familiar, I don't know, a very precocious lawyer who wrote a book called Amazon's Antitrust Paradox ended up on Cicilline's committee doing a lot of that work in antitrust and is now nominated to the Federal Trade Commission. She is not shy about her view that the big tech companies have behaved irresponsibly. She is not shy that the Obama administration was lax in antitrust enforcement. That was happening concurrently with this antitrust hearing. Are those also connected or are they just sort of coincidentally all happening at the same time? I think it's more of a coincidental thing. I think when it comes to looking at Lena Khan's confirmation hearing, you need to keep in the back of your head that Biden has not appointed anyone to lead the FTC yet. We have an acting chair at the FTC and an unfilled seat still, right? So it's nice to see Lena Khan appointed. And I think progressives and anti-tech, anti-monopolist folks are very excited to see her there. But it's really hard to see, you know, what direction the FTC is going to go when it comes to law enforcement until we see that final person. What I can say, though, is that Lena Khan had a much easier time in her confirmation hearing um, with Republicans than I think a lot of people expected. Even though Republicans have come around, you know, to doing really big work on criticizing big tech and big tech's power, when it comes to getting down to the legislation and the authoring and the voting, it hasn't been that good. But at this hearing, they seemed eager to support her and ask good questions. And at this point, unless something pops up, it'd be hard to see her not be approved and get confirmed, you know, as soon as she can find time on the floor. She just needs to make sure she doesn't tweet anything between now and the vote. Oh, yeah. She's she's on lockdown. (laughs) I mean, we she's been on the Vergecast. You can go back and we'll put a link there and go listen to our conversation with her. It's a lot harder to get her on the Vergecast right now. (laughs) Uh, So I think she's on lockdown until this until this is done. We kind of put all this into like broader perspective, right? We've seen the big hearings you know, in both houses of Congress, like we've seen the ones that go crazy because the social media companies are there. We've seen the ones that are more focused on markets. We've seen ones that are very narrowly tailored to how are big tech companies affecting the news industry, but there's just a lot of action. A lot more of it is bipartisan than anyone really expects. Even, even when there is just like outrageous grandstanding, but it hasn't coalesced into Here's what the government's going to do about the size and power of these tech companies. Even when it's like Apple, right? Even when you can kind of see it, that there's something should be done here and no one is really disagreeing. I still don't know what it is. Is that ever going to come into focus or are we just in that stage? Right. So everyone, I think we had this moment last year too, while we were waiting for, as we were talking about the House Judiciary Antitrust Subcommittee to release their big report on that 16-month investigation. I think that report... This is very wonky and silly, but they were they voted it out of committee like last week um, and it's going to go to the floor and be approved as a real House report. 
Now, this sounds kind of silly and ridiculous, but that's like a real thing that needs to happen in order for it to get that stamp of approval. This is what the House has found. Um, I think the next step really is to see what happens when that committee releases some form of legislation. They have the evidence to back it up. They have an argument to be made. But what does that look like legislatively? And we're still waiting to hear that from Cicilline and folks like that. And I think once that once we have we already have the Senate's perspective, that's Klobuchar's for the most part. Um where we're looking to see where the house is going. And then we can probably find out the gives and takes in those areas and figure out what kind of legislation might be able to move in both the house and Senate. Still some time left. Um, hopefully this comes sooner and later, sooner than later, but there's a lot of stuff happening now. There's still COVID things happening. There's infrastructure coming up. Um, but maybe, well, maybe we might hear more before the end of summer. I'm not sure. Well, you are keeping track of all of it in your new column and now newsletter called Hill Report, which people can find at theverge.com slash Hill Report. And I will tell you, I will tell the audience, I never want to say these things out loud until they have actually happened. But I am scheduled to talk to Senator Klobuchar tomorrow for next week's decoder. You never like I hate saying it until it actually happens. But that's the it's on the schedule. We think it's going to happen. And that's always just because of scheduling. But we have a lot more to come. McKenna is keeping track of it at the Hill Report. So go to Verge.com Hill Report. It's it's coming. It's not going to not happen. Right. And I think there's a lot of tech executives I talk to are usually of the mind that Congress is like totally broken, totally dysfunctional, and they're going to make a lot of noise and nothing will happen. My bet, and McKenna, I'm curious for your thought here. My bet is that something is actually going to happen, just given the amount of energy and the sort of bipartisan nature of these questions Mm -hmm. that it's definitely happening. Well, everything comes down from the top, right? And we have Biden in office now. He has appointed Tim Wu, Verge um, person who's been on podcasts before. Like the funny <laughs> thing about this is like, these are just people we've been talking to for years and now they're like in charge. And it's like, I don't, guys, we're all kind of, we're not. <laughs> so Biden, Biden's appointed, I know, Biden's appointed Tim Wu, the guy who literally coined net neutrality. Lena Khan, who wrote the Amazon Paradox. But, uh, this is not something you say very often, but a viral law article mm-hmm. um, about you know tech and then we're also expecting to hear something about who's going to be leading the antitrust division at doj and if that is someone who is a bit more progressive is if that is someone who tracks alongside Wu and Khan, i think it's fair to say that there's going to be a lot of momentum to get something done at least in the next four years under biden for sure and on top of that there is the epic lawsuit which we're going to over cover that is that is going to trial very soon there's like negotiations about what reporters are going to be allowed in the courtroom. Like that's all happening, but that trial's scheduled to go off. And then there's like the state lawsuits against uh, Google and Facebook. So there's just a lot of action here that feels a little, a little like a perfect storm of it's definitely something will change. I don't know if it will be the right change. I don't know if Tile's going to get everything that it wants, right? Like something's going to happen. And it, it feels like we need to track it very carefully. So again, I'm very happy you're here to help us do that. That's what I'm here to do. All right. Thanks to Heim Gartenberg. Thanks to McKenna Kelly. There was just a lot to cover this week. Great to talk to them. I want to call out a few stories on The Verge that I thought were great this week. We interviewed Senator Tammy Duckworth on hate crimes, racism, environmental justice. It's a great interview. You should go read it. We are finding ways to cover the rise of violence against Asian Americans in America. We've run a few stories. We have a great story on how the statistics aren't quite doing the job well. So individuals are using digital tools to create new and better statistics. I think that's really important. And then there's a great Becca video uh, that I want to call out about just how fiber optics work. And she went to Bell Labs and actually 
God's Play with some fiber. It's really cool. Check that out. It's on the YouTube channel. Once again, you can check out McKenna's Hill Report at theverge.com slash Hill Report. This is going to be a year of a lot of regulatory action, and McKenna's covering it all right there. You can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless Theaters at Backlon. Heim is C. Gartenberg. McKenna is at Kelly McKenna. Decoder this week was the CEO of Vimeo, Anjali Sood. Next week, again, I'm pretty confident. We'll see if the schedule is sold up tomorrow. But next week, it's uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar. That's it. Rock and roll. Get a vaccine. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.